Hey, we're back for another Just A Couple of Jerks podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Kim Oppelfens from Belgium. Uh, Kim is a, well, 15 times MVP or something crazy like that. Uh, He's been around in the MVP game for a long, long time. Uh, We had a good old chat about MMS and in particular the curling event that... uh, he suggested they should do out there, which went down a real storm. Uh, how he takes uh, his son out to uh, football, or the soccer, as you say, out in the States. Um, and he does a 50-mile round trip. 50 miles. Wow. To go and see his favourite team, Ghent. Um, and it was a real pleasure. It was a real, real pleasure chatting to Kim. And I hope you enjoy this week's just a couple of jerks. Kim, thanks ever so much for joining me, uh, for joining the podcast today. Yeah, um, it's it's a pleasure to, for you to come on, on board to this. Um, it's a podcast I've been doing for a few weeks. I don't know if you've actually listened to any of them. Um, I listened to the first one. Okay, cool. We've, I've got a listener. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. Um, I'm having an absolute blast doing them. And... Uh, it's uh, the good. What I what I find about it is, um, you know, some of the people I've invited on, I know quite well to a degree. You know, well, I don't know quite well. I know them through the community, and there's other people I'm talking to I don't really know that well in the community. And what what's great is I think by the end of it is we kind of get to know each other a little bit more, um, and also um, uh, our our listener. You <laughs> could uh, potentially get to know people a little bit more. So the the, the idea of the podcast really is about um, us as community people who are out there um, being kind of well-known, but people don't really know anything about us at all um, beyond what we do. So a good way to potentially, you know, get across who we are uh, and also, you know, to, to find out that people are just – have day-to-day struggles uh, doing their jobs or in life or, or whatever. Uh, and 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 the idea is I call it just a couple of jerks to emphasise that ultimately we are just ordinary people struggling, surviving, etc. So th- thanks for taking part. You're welcome. It's my absolute pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> for some strange reason, I have nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting neither have i <laughs> um is that due to the impact of covid19 or is that just you're idling having a bit of time off no i, uh, I actually have time off um uh, this week um around around easter um as far as covid is going um my customers just let me work from home so um i'm busy just like uh, I used to be with the side effect that I don't have to travel to office and back. So I'm not complaining all that much. 
Yeah, yeah. Is it impacting though? I mean, how? I mean, obviously, I've heard a bit of news coming out of Belgium. Um, uh, whereabouts are you based in Belgium? Uh, pretty close to Louvain, which in turn is pretty close to Brussels. So, um, I live somewhere in between. Okay, so uh, is that the epicenter then of the the outbreak in Belgium, or is it is it kind of dispersed? Uh, you know, and what are the figures like in Belgium? I think it's pretty much dispersed all over uh, all over the country. Um, the figures, well, uh, it depends on which ones you're talking about. Um, the number of people in the hospital are decreasing, um, but the number of deaths daily is uh, are still increasing slightly. Um, so some numbers are going in the right directions. Others um, appear to show that we haven't reached the entire peak just yet. Um, so it remains to be seen whether um, less people being hospitalized results in less people dying daily of this virus. Sure, sure. And then you've been in lockdown as well, I take it, for, for a while. Um, yeah, although they don't technically call it lockdown, um, we can still go to work if you cannot work from home. Uh, we can still do shopping. Um, but the schools have been closed for a couple of weeks. Um, shops have been closed, except for um, shops that uh, basically serve food or sell food. Um, they can remain open. Again, the exception there is restaurants. Um, restaurants can create takeaway meals, but um, you cannot go to a restaurant to eat. Um, so we're in... in what they call semi-lockdown. Um, okay. It sounds pretty similar to what we're going through in London, to be honest. Um, exact same scenario. So we're, we're kind of two and a half weeks in. Um, our, our death numbers are still rising, but they seem to think there's a, a peak maybe in the number of cases. Um and that hopefully continues that trend. So obviously then the deaths hopefully start to come down as well. Um, but lockdown-wise, yeah, exactly the same. We can pop out to the shops. Uh, people are trying to get home deliveries. That's proving extremely difficult um, to do that. So we have to take the trip out. And then we're kind of lining up to go in the shops uh, two metres apart gets a bit of a free-for-all when you're in the shops, I've found. It's a bit strange. You're kind of queued up to go in, and then we're kind of walking along aisles and moving away from each other. Um, but, you know, it's I suppose it, that's all that can be done at the moment. You know, they, you obviously got to keep that food supply coming. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's the impact on everything else, which is just absolutely huge. Um, and how long, how long we're going to be in that for um, is, is anyone's guess, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think we've been in, in this particular state for close to four weeks now. Um, I think they uh, they introduced it on a Friday, so I think uh, tomorrow we'll be uh, in semi-lockdown for uh, for four weeks. Um, and my wife does most of the grocery shopping. Um, the very first couple of days, she said it's a uh, it doesn't create a happy feeling when uh, when you go grocery shopping because a lot of the shelves were actually empty because 
um, the store owners just couldn't restack the shelves quick enough. There was no shortage. It was just people are buying and we cannot get the shelves filled in time for the next people to come in. So. Yeah, here it's been an initial panic buying, people stocking up on crazy things. We obviously had the toilet roll thing going on for a week or so. Now we can't get, so we can buy bread, but everyone started buying flour. Uh, in fact, I, I spoke with Mike Marable a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about how to create a, a starter for a, a sourdough bread because I, I used to make bread after taking it back up again because I thought, right, okay, start all that. And um, But everyone's buying flour, so you just can't get it anymore. It's impossible. Um because people have gone, actually, this tastes a hell of a lot better than buying. We, we In the UK, we have a uh, really awful slice bread that's been, it was introduced in the 50s after the war, and it's really awful. It's tasteless, has no nutritional mm. value, but but we use it for toast every morning. It's okay. disgusting. And when I, when I go to Europe, you have proper bread, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll only see like a small area of a supermarket with a couple of you know, sort of slice milk loaves or whatever they are um, that that is the nearest to what the rubbish that we would sell. So people are actually, I read an article this morning uh, where, uh, you know, because of the shortage of flour, people have started baking and then people have gone, actually, this tastes brilliant. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, because it's, it, it's made properly. You've got control on the ingredients and okay, you might make a brick when you start off or whatever, or a bit of a door stopper, but Pretty much soon after, you'll get the use to, to getting the dough right. And next thing you know, you have fantastic bread. And you'll go, I don't need to buy this rubbish anymore. Or, you know, at least go out and buy proper bread and, and get decent stuff. So, you know, that, that might be one thing that there's going to be lots of changes, obviously, after we come out of this. Um, this might be one of them, you know, who knows. Um, so you, you, you work, um, you, you've worked in IT for a while, obviously, but you, you, do you have your own consultancy? Yep, I uh, I started as an independent um, a little over ten years ago, and that's OSCC, is that right? Yep, correct. What does that stand for? Well, originally it was my last name, Opalfens System Center Consultancy. Okay. Um, and we uh, we kind of recently last year at MMS decided that it was. Um, Olympic System Center curling team. <laughs> Brilliant. I take it you took part in the curling event then at MMS. I took part in it. I actually initiated the entire okay. shambles. Um... <laughs> shambles. <laughs> is, that, is that some, an interest of yours then, is it? And you just decided to initiate it? Or? No, it is not. Um, but we, we were having talks at the, at the speaker reception um amongst well, m- most MMS speakers are MVPs so we, some of the MVPs some of the Microsoft folks and somehow we started talking about sports um and I said well there's still one sport in which I think I can get an Olympic medal and that's curling <laughs> anything else I'm not gonna be jumping the forest I'm not gonna be the quickest cycler um Fencing probably is my thing, but curling, I could probably be an Olympic champion, champion <laughs> curling. And what's the logic behind that then? Because it looks 
silly, simple, and easy. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna sweep in the floor is it is it oh i could actually yeah. do this as part of a sport yeah <laughs> it, 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 in practice it is none of those things but when you look at it <laughs> um, so we were talking about that so i then talked to a number of the, the speakers and said what if we went curling next year because we're in minnesota they definitely to have um, have a curling alley there um, which they did, um, and before before I knew it, um, I think we, I, I, well, I don't think I'm quite sure. Adaptiva um, immediately jumped on board and said, "Kim, can we sponsor this?" I said, really? "We we haven't even organized it yet. <laughs> you can you guys yeah. can do whatever you want. <laughs> I think yeah. less." Um, and then yeah. Brian, take it off my hands and crack on, yeah. Yeah, and then Brian Mason did his intro. Um, for the event and right at the end i shouted oh yeah and next year because he announced the dates i said oh and next year we're going curling and the entire room <laughs> went yay <laughs> <laughs> and, brian, <laughs> and brian looked at me and said what <laughs> <laughs> well you know it, i saw the pictures up so i've never attended mms um I'm, I'm i'm due to speak this year whether that is, is a reality or not at this stage who knows? Um, but I saw the pitch. I thought, great, I'm up for a bit of that. You know, it's uh, it's totally something different. And, um, you know, these are the sort of things where people uh, have a good time. Um, yeah, it was definitely fun. Yeah, you know, it's, it's something out of the ordinary. We, we had um, an event after a WMUG recently. Again, Adaptiva sponsored this, and it was um, – a social darts night um just just you know uh, nearby we went across to a pub they'd laid on a ton of food and we just threw darts and the great thing was it's all computerized we didn't even have to think um it all calculated the score all for us and we could just stand there drink eat throw darts and it was a great great night you know just something completely different that you know you wouldn't always do um and curly i mean you know you you really put the the sport to shame by saying it's simple and easy because I can imagine it really isn't. And there's a, as you say, there's a lot. There's probably a lot of thought. I mean, even just doing bowling. Uh, so in, in the UK, we have uh, Crown Green bowling, which is where we have uh, a smaller bowl that we roll, and then they they have to roll it and get the nearest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a similar concept to that, isn't it? But with these huge discs and someone sweeping the ice. Yeah, it, it's it's the huge huge discs. It's incredibly hard not to throw the stone, which is what they call it, not to throw it too hard because it goes too hard. Then it basically goes slides along. Yeah. Yep, slides along, goes goes off the playing field, and that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And did you, were you all like skiing along or and, and and brushing away at the same time? Was that happening as well? But there there there's uh, there's one person throwing the stone and there's um i believe two sweeping the ice and there's one that that was basically the rule i could do best there's one standing pretty much at the end of the playing field telling the others where they're supposed to throw i was (laughs) i was pretty good at doing that That was your role, yeah. <laughs> well, well, we sw- we switched roles, but if I have to had to pick a role that I could do best, that was it. Telling yeah. people where yeah. to throw, 
followed by <laughs> swearing, followed by swearing and telling that they didn't follow my instructions. But yeah, just, they just weren't good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> was that was that with a beer in the hand as well? Yeah. No, there were no no uh, no drinks allowed. Right. On the, oh, I suppose. God, yeah, of course. Yeah. That'd be chaos, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would. That, be, that, that, that would get pretty messy pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, so MMS then. While we're on it, I mean, you you must have been quite a few times. I mean, you you you're um, you, you attend quite a lot of uh, events and conferences, from what I can see. I mean, MMS. You know, how many times have you been there? Is it every, every year it's been on? Um, I've I've been to every MMS that um, that has been in Minnesota, and I've uh, I've done the Microsoft ones since two thousand ten. Wow! So I've uh, I've been to I've been to Vegas for five years. I've now been to Minnesota and some of the other locations they uh, they've had it at, um, for five years. So it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, jet setting around and 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 getting to places and things like that. I mean, I've like I say, I've not. I, I, the first time I went to the states was uh, the first MVP summit a couple of years ago, and um, you know, I I haven't really travelled and I haven't really done the events. So I see these um, these the photos and videos on Twitter, and then it's you know jealousy kicks in very quickly. <laughs> And you're like, God, why, why, why not? So I was all, I'm all keyed up for this year. It's just whether it happens, whether I can actually get out there now at the, the rearranged date uh, remains to be seen. So, you know, we'll take it as it comes. But I suppose you're lined up for it, aren't you? Again, yeah, You've got a couple of yeah, couple of talks. I think I have three or four again um, the, this year. Um, hopefully in July. Um, if not. October, I think, which would be the the the, the fall one, yeah, the, um, the San Diego the one, yep. yeah, which, yeah, which which they keep organizing in spots where they say the weather is gonna be amazing. Um, yeah, well, not really. We've been to uh, Orlando. The weather wasn't all bad, but far from amazing. Uh, New Orleans again, great venue, but again, weather wise, ah. Um, so San Diego <laughs> is the one that's supposed to actually kill it, but of course. <laughs> well, we should be used to pretty lame weather, shouldn't we? Um, yeah, which is so why I, we tend to go to these places not to have that type of weather. <laughs> Although, exactly. <laughs> to be to be fair, Orlando and New Orleans had way better weather than the UK or Belgium have around that time of year. But, yeah. Well, we we were so blessed at the last MVP summit. Do you remember, it was like thirty yeah. odd degrees. Yeah, it was a, a record uh, temperature for for March in Seattle, and we, we was like, I was sending pictures to my wife, and I said, no, but I am sat in a room all day. You know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. You told me you were going to be busy. You know, no, I am. It's just we've, we've nipped out for ten minutes. Here's a picture. Uh, the rest of the day, I'm uh, I'm sat in a room trying to keep awake with jet lag yeah but yeah yeah you know it's um we we don't we don't get all that great weather here and i mean as a kid um i used to uh with my family we used to go with a caravan we'd come across uh to belgium it used to be one of our stop-off points we we'd go we'd spend a bit of time there uh and then we'd tour around 
Germany, Austria, places like that. So I know it's not that great summer-wise in Belgium. <laughs> you know, nope. it's pretty much pretty much what we get. But we did have a we had a great time. We used to go near Ypres. I think is it Ypres you pronounce it. Um, Y P R E S E. Yeah. Uh, stay there. We'd we come over to Z, Z, We call it Zeebrugge. Zeebrugge. Yep. Port and Ostend. So that that'd be our route across. We would right. stay overnight. Uh, we would sleep overnight on the ferry, which I used to absolutely hate. Um, and we used to, we went to the fun park there in near Ypres. Belwart Belt. We was got it's probably completely wrong pronunciation wise we call it Belwadi Park yeah well it's good enough for me to know what you what you're talking about so yeah it's, and it's <laughs> it's not all that differently pronounced it's Belwadi but yeah okay yeah it was Belgium's version of Disneyland as far as I knew <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the, the tiny little version of it yes <laughs> yeah yeah and I checked it out before we got on uh, on the cloth I wonder if it still exists and it's still there still yeah. doing it so yep still yeah. there yeah. I don't remember any ride from it, but I just remember going as a kid. It was a real treat to do that. Um, and I I'd, always remember going uh, for me. Go on, sorry, carry on. I'd have a tough time remembering any of the rides. It's been quite a while since we've uh, since we've been there. Um, but yeah, no. Would it, would, it be, it, would it be the 80s, would it? Yeah, but it's definitely still there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what state it's in. It's obviously uh, not really getting much custom at the moment, so hopefully it survives nope. this this yeah. this mess. But I always remember when we went to Belgium, we always went out with fantastic, fantastic meals. I always remember that. But I always remember getting confused by the language in Belgium because obviously you've got different regional variations haven't you uh, and and you've got flemish where are they the, the more dutch speaking yep is that right and then yeah so which which area are you are you in the flemish region i'm in the i'm in the flemish region so we speak something that um resembles dutch very very well um there are some slight variations i typically compare it to um us and uk um, that's the difference between Flemish and Dutch. And then um, the French-speaking part or the Walloons, they kind of have their own language. But again, it's like um, it's the French variation of UK English and US English. So they speak French. And then we have this tiny little region that everybody keeps forgetting about that actually speaks German. Okay. Um, and what's that called, that region? Um, but, um, I don't know whether we have another name for it than just the German-speaking region. Uh, <laughs> the, the German bit. Yeah, that's the German bit. Um, it's called Germany. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, okay. But I always remember um, when, when, when we came back, we, we toured, you know, Germany itself and come back, and we were on, on our way route back towards the... Uh, the ferry ports and that would stay overnight or a few days or whatever. But the great thing for us was that we could suddenly pick up BBC TV across the, the channel and we were like, fantastic, we can tune in. Yep. And um, so, so do you, did you get, do you get that? Are you near enough to pick up BBC telly? Um, not from, uh, not from Antennas, but we do have BBC just sitting on the table though. Um, okay. 
Because my thought would be that people would tune into this. Maybe they'd learn lots of English or whatever. Because obviously your English is, I think, is fantastic. You know, so is that something you've you've learned from a child? Uh, you know, how is it? Obviously, you you, you know you'll know Dutch and you're multilingual. I, uh, that has changed in the past couple of decades. But um, back when I was young, so we're talking decades. Um, <laughs> most Tell me TV, about it. <laughs> most TV shows we we uh, we watched were actually in English and were uh, were subtitles. Um, we didn't get uh, we we didn't get a lot of um, natively Dutch spoken um, TV shows. Um, Right. So, so the so the so the English stuff wouldn't be dubbed. It would just be no. in English with yeah. the with the subs below, right? Okay. Yeah. Um. And and that that part hasn't changed. We um we still don't dub anything that's uh, that's English uh, English spoken. What has changed is that um, more native Dutch content is being created. Um. So there's right. more more Dutch TV shows and stuff like that. Um, okay. Back, back in the so day. So you were just soaking this up as a kid then, just yep. listening to it, hearing the words, and, and then just yep. as a youngster, you're just picking it up naturally. Yeah, pretty, pretty much, which doesn't necessarily um, makes you speak the language properly, but at least you get a lot of words in and a lot of vocabulary going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, you're, you're, even if you don't know the sentence structure, isn't it? You, you can understand words. You can try and. Yep. I mean, I did, I did German till uh, my um, exams as a as a kid. You know, so we have O levels at the age of um, sixteen. And I did that. I failed it, uh, but I was predicted to to pass it because I was going to Germany every year uh, mm. as part of these 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 holidays. So we were out out in Europe for four weeks, um, and just just trying. I, I couldn't speak to people, but I could ask for things. I could slightly converse, uh, and then. But the problem is, then when you stop doing it, it just drops very very quickly. Um, yeah. But I was able to able to to learn it by being there and exposure ultimately, isn't it? Yeah. Um, to that language, especially at the young age, that helps. Yeah, totally. And I was talking about pl- playing guitars uh, the the other day uh, on the podcast, and um, uh, you know, I learned tried to learn that as a thirty odd year old approaching forty questioning everything i was doing you know and, and having no real free time to practice and if i'd have done that as a little kid i'd probably be uh, you know as good as eric claps and by now <laughs> although I, I doubt it who knows you could be you could be incredibly talented and gifted yeah uh, but i'm not <laughs> so that's fine i'm useless it's it i can do a few chords but yeah you soak it up and you probably would you'd be exposed to to British pop music as well, I suppose, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. same thing. Most, of, yeah, most of, most of the music back then was um, was was English. Um, singing in our native language was wasn't very popular. Um, again, that has changed in the past couple of years, or most likely a couple of decades. 
um, that Dutch music has become more popular in Belgium. Um, but it used to be all English. Um, if you if you had a basically if you had a good voice and you uh, were going to be a singer, English typically was your first choice. Um, Dutch came second, um, which isn't the case any longer. Um, people now often start off singing in Dutch first. Fair enough, and yeah, actually, one of my one of my favourite bands from Belgium who sing in English, uh, Cordeus. Yep. Um, yep. Big big fan of them, and they were around the the grunge era scene and got sort of lumped into that a little bit. And um, I saw them actually last year. They came over and toured. I thought I've got to go see this, and I would assume they're well, they're they're relatively unknown here, uh, but but in Belgium, assume I assume they're they're a lot more uh, known and, and famous and um it was great because they played one of their songs which was big and, and it was in, in native tongue you know and it was great to hear that rather than just all the english uh, songs yep. but they they obviously adapted and did that to to become more successful would it be uh, in Belgium as well, like you say, to, to become successful there, but also probably in, in other regions as well in Europe? Yeah, most likely. I, I think originally people would, yeah, just, just Dutch music wasn't very highly regarded. Um, so if you were going into singing in Dutch, um, people looked at it as if, okay, they're just trying to stay out of the the bigger, more popular things um, that all sing, sing in English. So they're trying to find their niche. Um, whereas now, um, singing in, in, in Dutch is, I don't know how to say it, um, is more, more accepted than it used to be. More accepted, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So as a youngster then, Kim, what was your, uh, who, who were your favourites then? You know, these these English pop stars of the for, day. For, for singing? Oh, I, I, yeah. I've, I've never actually had a very outspoken um, favourite music genre or favourite musical artist. So I, I like well, most, most regular popular um, things. I'm not, I'm not a heavy metal or, or that metal or um, kind of fan. Um, but anything so else? just like popping anything on, pop, pop it in the yep. background, listen to it, not too fussed. Yep. Indeed. Okay. Ah, that's interesting. And, and so what are your interests outside of IT? What, what, obviously curling, that's a biggie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cur- curling is a biggie. Um, I used to be, well, I used to be, and I still play a little bit of basketball. Um, so when I was when I was young, um, I played a lot. Um, now I still play um, once every once every week um, when not in lockdown. I try to go, um, and we just play with a bunch of people. Um, we don't we don't train anymore. We just play. Um, recreational matches uh, between each other um, so that's fun so just kind of just kind of chilling and playing nothing too competitive no. just having a good time yeah we we uh, the interesting thing is we, we don't even keep uh, keep actual scores there's people that kind of count in their head but we don't actually keep score when we do that um, 
once a year we have what we call our all-star weekends uh, and then we play matches um, three against three where we do keep score and the interesting bit is the minute we do that all of a sudden everybody becomes way more competitive than we are <laughs> uh, yeah. the rest of the year it gets nasty <laughs> it gets yeah. well i wouldn't say nasty but it gets way more competitive um at that yeah. point uh, i was uh, i was watching a star trek the other day the old next generations and um uh, they, they were talking about playing a game and uh, I think it was something like Captain Picard said, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wins, you know, sort of thing. And then Worf replies, um, well, why keep score? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, it, you know, the, the competitive edge really uh, dictates that. So when you have these all-star games, it's everyone's focused, I can imagine, and you're all in, right, we've, we've got to do this. But it adds a bit of fun, I suppose. You know, hopefully you're not fighting by the end of it. No. And apart from <laughs> apart from that, I'm I'm still a soccer fan, so um, I uh, okay, a fo- football we call it, yeah, yep, yep, <laughs> not soccer. Well, well, yeah, <laughs> for for your uh, for your US English um, listeners or for the US English listeners, yeah, we call it football because it's a football, sport yeah. that, we sport, right. that we play with a ball with, and foot. Kick it with our foot. <laughs> 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 not sure what you guys call it. Football, but <laughs> it's not a ball, and you don't use your foot very often. Yeah, yeah. So what, what's that all about? Absolutely. <laughs> so, is your uh, your favourite team? Is it is it Premier League, or are you you again st- yeah. sticking with Belgium on that? Are you got a local team you support? I, well, I have well, uh, local kind of depends. Uh, I'm still rooting for the team uh, where I was born because I was actually born in Ghent and moved uh, to Louvain at the age of 16. Um, so you I kept it local, good man. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I travel every every two weeks, so most of the, the home matches, I travel back to Ghent with my uh, with my son who, who was born in Louvain um, but which I took with me to the very first uh, game in, in the new stadium they built um, five or six years ago um, and he was sold immediately and said dad can we come back next week so I kind of had to explain to him that there was this concept of home and away matches and that we couldn't go to the stadium every single week um, but um, we've been uh, we've been going to quite a bit of matches uh, since I actually took him to um, to the Wembley Stadium when we uh, when we played Tottenham two years ago. Okay, right. Was that a, well? Obviously, a Europa match was it that one? Yeah. Or Champions League? No, it was it was Europa League, um, and Tottenham was building its new stadium, so they were playing their yeah, yeah. matches in uh, in the Wembley Stadium. So yeah, yeah. And and how did that go? Because I mean, I would assume that's probably the biggest stadium your son had been to then at that point. Uh, at that point, um, I rooting uh, for uh, for my own team. That probably will have been the biggest stadium we've uh, we've been to. Although this summer um, we went to go and see a, a Barcelona game uh, when we were in Spain right. for the holidays. Wow. Um, I've only been to the new camp when uh, I've done the tour a couple of times back in the nineties and then with the kids, but never been to a game. So I can imagine that's uh, quite an experience. 
Yeah, it was good. It was good. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do it. Um, it was an amazing experience, um, although I typically keep adding, um, but you kind of know what's going to happen. They, they actually, uh, at a certain point in the game, they were zero one down. Um, and then all of a sudden they start playing for real. And I think 20 minutes after that, I think it was three or four one. <laughs> so that there's a, there's a, there's a serious imbalance between quite a number of those teams and the top teams, which kind of means it's incredible to watch. Um, but there's, there's no real, um, yeah, not a lot of chance. Yeah, the atmosphere is lacking. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, how did it go when you were at Wembley? Then, what was the score in that match? Did you was it a competitive game? It was a very competitive um, game. Uh, I would have to think again what the score was, but we managed to uh, to kick Tottenham out of the league at that point in time. Um, oh right, okay. Right. With, with, with quite a bit of luck um, um, and. We did, we did pretty well in the home game. I think we won the home game with, uh, with 1-0. Or maybe it was a tie 1-1. Um, but then in the, in the away game, Dalielli took a red card pretty early in the game. Um, and we managed to score after that, um, which meant Tottenham with 10, people, 10 players had to score, I think, two or three times um, to get us out. And they tried really hard. Um, had a lot of kick on, kicks on goals, but the ball wouldn't go, go in for Tottenham. <laughs> um, yeah. So we managed uh, we managed to go through there. Uh, so that would have been a great atmosphere for you, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely well, loving it. Well, your, your son's soaking it up, isn't he? As a, as a youngster, yep. just yep. yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a match you'll never forget. I've, I've no doubt. No. Um, I mean, we, we we played there. That's so my team's Barnsley. Uh, we're in the championship, and uh, we were at the bottom of the championship when the season stopped. So it's like, okay, what's going to happen now? But we played at Wembley uh, against Tottenham that season as well in a cup match, and I think we lost maybe two 0 which wasn't bad for us because we thought we'd get hammered about five or six. Um, but it was it was there was a nice bit of atmosphere coming from our fans. But I felt it was lacking from them purely because, I mean, to them, we were a small team. It didn't really matter. But I can imagine the Tottenham fans were going crazy during the match that you were at. And it was pretty packed. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, pretty, a pretty good game. I, I think it was one, the, the idiot final uh, of the Europa League. So they start to care a little bit uh, at that point in time. So, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Cool. And so when you do the trips to the home matches then, how, how much of a, a, a journey is that? Is it 20 miles, 50 miles away, kilometers? It's, I think it's 50 miles. Um, some, yeah, it'll be 50 miles for uh, give or take. Um, I typically, uh, so I take the car, I put, I put the bikes um, um, on the trailer, um, and then we park somewhere near the stadium and we biked uh, the last uh, the last couple of miles oh um, cool cool which is not so a part become... of some likes 
That's that's brilliant. I mean, is this every, every home match you, you're managing to make then? Are you, always, are you committed to that or just kind of try and fit pretty, it in? Pretty close to. Um, if there's obligations we really cannot get out of, we'll skip home match, but um, not often. Uh, and there's since, since he's still, although obviously he's uh, he's getting older, but. Um, when we started doing this, he was 10, um, and we have a number of games, um, Sunday at 8, Sunday at 6. Um, so when he was really young, um, the games in the Sunday at 6 games were games we didn't, uh, we didn't go to, because by the time the game is done, it's 8 o'clock. By the time we get to the car, it's 8.30, that means 9.30 had passed before we're back home. So that was um, cutting it close. Um, but now, since he's older, um, we do go to the six o'clock games. Um, if it's a Sunday evening game at eight o'clock, um, he doesn't get to go. So neither am I, um, unless it's followed by a holiday. Obviously. Sure. And how old is he now then? Is he... A couple of years since that, or is he is he teenage years now? Um, he's uh, he'll be sixteen this year. Right, great age, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> teenage years, all good fun. Is he is he your only child then, Kim, or have you got uh, any others? Uh, I have I have, a, I have a daughter. I have a son and a daughter. So and the, the daughter um, will be twelve next month. Okay. Yeah, I have got a 12-year-old daughter as well. So I've got four kids and they're all, really well, should be teenage years very soon. So they're all in that, that period and uh, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it has its moments. Yeah. But we get through them. Um, so, so going back to yourself as, as a kid then, Kim, um, was computers something that you were interested in from an early age? Um, or is it something that you just kind of came into over time? Not really. Um, I think I started doing things with computers at the age of 14, 15, maybe. Um, prior to that, I don't think I've ha- I had much contact with, um, with any of them, um, really. Um, so I haven't, although I've seen them and, and I have friends that had them, but um, I haven't done any of those uh, bizarre Amiga um, and cassette-driven um, things. My first computer immediately was a was a personal computer. Um, and in what in, in what capacity was that? Was that just to, to to do something on it or to play a game or? Uh, initially, it was uh, it was playing games. I uh, I still play some of those text-based uh, adventure games. Um, that was, I think, one of the initial things um, I did. Um, and then I think at the age of fifteen or sixteen, um, I had to decide what I would go do and study. Uh, and I actually had no real clue what to do until my mom said, maybe you should do something with computers. You fancy that? I said, sure, why not? <laughs> um, I can't think what to do. This will do for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically how I, uh, how I rolled into, uh, into IT. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't have a clue. Um, I didn't have a clue right until... Uh, so I'm almost 50. So I went to university in 1990 and I still don't have a clue. And I was doing um, a kind of a, a marketing business type course that had some technology thrown into it as well. Uh, and I'd done some stuff, uh, computer studies as a kid. I had an, an Acorn Electron. I used to do a bit of programming on it, but always, you know, not for me. Uh, played some games on my Amiga, things like that. But for 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 a career, I didn't know at all. And it was only really for me um, when Windows 3.1 came out and the university I was at had uh, introduced it into their computer labs. Up to that point, we were programming on mainframes, doing Pascal programming. Again, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And 3.1 turned up and all this kind of drag and drop kind of stuff. It wasn't, was it drag and drop then? It was a bit, wasn't it? But, you know, it, it, it suddenly made sense. You know, oh, I can, I can work this. I don't need to know the back end stuff in depth. And I can actually, you know, and then we had a friend who had a, I was living with who had a computer. Again, I was mostly playing games, but we, you know, I did some stuff with that. And it was like, okay, this, this means something to me. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I can understand it. And that's kind of how I slowly dropped into IT. But it was very difficult to get a job because I didn't have work experience. Um, so it took, a lot, it took a good year and a bit for that to happen. So for yourself, you've, you've, you, your mum says, why not do this? <laughs> You're like, all right, okay. <laughs> so how did it progress from that? You know, what steps did you take? Was it like, okay, yeah, well, this is what I will do. How do I go about it? Or, you know. I, uh, I, I study, um, I did lost uh, from, from 16 to 18, then went to university, which was a little bit less of a success because the, the math was a bit too challenging uh, for me. Um, and at that point in time, um, I took a step back um, to, I don't know what you call it, um, we call it college, uh, or no, we call it high school. Um, which is uh, which is basically the bachelor kind of thing. Um, okay, right, yeah. So I, so I studied IT as a bachelor um, and graduated just before Y2K, um, so didn't have any problem finding a job back then. Um, IT was uh, was craving for people um, end of nineteen ninety nine. Um, and yeah, you're dropping in at a really good time there, good yep. moment in time. Yeah, yep. I actually um, had my job before I graduated. I signed my uh, my first contract. I think in uh, around April um, of the year that I had to graduate. Graduate. Um, and the interesting bit, my mom still calls it nuts, um, um, because of people were. Because of companies were looking for people um, in IT, actually got a pay raise before I worked my first day. All of a sudden, I got a I got a letter in the mail in the mail saying, "Yeah, we're going to give you a pay raise." Brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> Great start. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And it was just when you got there, they never gave you one after that. 
<laughs> well, I did get I did get a couple after that, but it took a little bit longer, and I actually had to work for some of them. <laughs> yeah, gosh, God, that's the worst. Last thing you want to do. <laughs> so, so what was that first role then? Was that a, like a support capacity type thing? Or yeah, yeah, it was, it was right. very much um, a mix of um, telephone and on-site support. Um, and I left that role rather quickly after about a year and a half um, to become a, to become a professional trainer um, and give um, give training classes. Um, and that's the point in so time how, where. How does that how does that how does that change happen then? So you're doing you're doing support and then you're a professional trainer. So did you just go into that or was it a case of studying for that? I, I was. Um, I was pretty ambitious, so I was studying by myself quite a bit, um, doing all of the exams to get my MCSE back in back in the days. Um, and for some of those things, um, my employer sent me to a training facility to go and uh, get a training class. And I think I got in that year and a half, I went to two different training classes. Um, one on the basics of TCPIP, um, and, and another one when Windows 2000 came about. Um, and I, I figured that when I was going to the TCPIP class, I talked to one of the instructors, um, and basically, technically, I considered us to be roughly on the same level obviously with the exception of knowledge on TCPIP, which is was one of the things uh, he taught. So he obviously knew way more about that um, than I did. Um, and then I went back um, for the year 2000 class, um, which was given again by, by, the, by the teacher that gave me the TCPIP class. And had, I had been studying for my MCSC, MCSE exams quite extensively. And I think there was a time span of six to eight months between those two training classes. And all of a sudden, the teacher seemed way more knowledgeable than I was on a multitude of topics. And I said, what's going on here? There is no way somebody can have studied that much harder than I have been for the past six to eight months. Um, and I quickly realized that there is no competing um, with people studying in groups because that's what the instructors did. They, every time they found something, they talked to one another. So they learned as a group as opposed to me trying to learn as an individual. So I said, okay, I'm done with that. I want to study in that group. Um, so I moved, uh, I moved to the company uh, where I actually went for training. Um, and one of the things I got on my plate rather quickly um, were the classes for SMS 2.0 back in the day. Right. Okay. That, that, uh, it's interesting to hear that. And obviously that, that collaborative stuff then continues, you know, uh, as a way of learning uh, in, uh, in the community that we're in, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're always bouncing things off each other uh, rather than trying to do this on your own uh, when you get stuck and you go, oh, what does this mean? I, I don't understand it. 
you know, it's uh, the, the 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 community bit um, kind of naturally followed from uh, from being the professional trainer after I left that role again. Um, because one of the things that's interesting as a professional trainer, which you actually have in the community as well, is you learn about much more problems than just the problems you experience yourself. Um, yeah. And that's the, the, the challenge and the discussion I have every once in a while with people claiming that experience is extremely important. I tell people, yes, it is. But gaining experience and knowledge from others is as well. Um, and that's what the community does for you. It provides you with challenges that you don't necessarily have yourself, um, but th that you're trying to solve nonetheless. So did you kind of start, you say around that time you started on the community path, was that just something that you did just, uh, not willingly, but just kind of drifted into it? Or did you go, okay, I'm going to get involved in this? How, how did all that start off? Well, um, as, as a trainer back in the days, we already had the, the news groups um, for trainers, um, which were typically very specific to the actual courseware. Um, and the classes that you taught. Um, and when I stopped being a professional trainer, I still wanted to do that. Um, so I checked whether there were any news groups um, that weren't specific to trainers. Um, so that's when I got into the, in the, into the news group scene um, on SMS still um, and answered quite a bit of questions uh, there, that's that's where I got to know uh, Wally Me, because uh, Wally was quite uh, quite active in the news groups uh, in news groups as well. Um, so I kind of did that to compensate the lack of access to the trainer news groups. Yeah, and you and, and and when you're contributing there, you're doing. Are you answering questions or are you asking yep. questions or, or or both? Really? I, I was mostly answering questions um, back then. I obviously asked my fair bit of questions uh, as well. But one of the things I noticed uh, in, in the news groups, because searching news groups wasn't all that easy, um, a lot of questions just reappeared. So it was pretty easy to get into it and just, okay, I've seen this before. I've seen that before. Um, yeah. So yeah, and that, um, and your your knowledge there just because that sticks in your memory then, doesn't it? You've seen you've seen yeah. that multiple times. Yeah. So even if it's not something that you've done, you've learned it by yeah. reading about it, and, or, or even if you're doing a you're answering some questions and then someone throws in a bit of a curveball, you you you're probably going off. Like I do. I go off and I research it, check it out. Okay, now I've learned that. Um, you know, I don't know everything, therefore I'll let me let me research it, and then I've. You know, so, so someone's asking a question, and I'm finding the answer for them. They could have Googled it themselves, but but you're enriching your own um, yeah. knowledge but the, through and, that. And the other interesting part of being a professional trainer was, well, people have to do the same exercise. If you have 10 people in your class, everybody has the same exercise, so you would expect that it works for all of them. But you and I both know that that's not how it works. <laughs> it doesn't. And for one reason or another, people still mess up the exercises uh, in one way or another. 
that can be just a glitch yeah. on their machines, but it typically means they haven't followed the instructions to the letter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you do that for, for a while for the same class, you already know which part they'll have misinterpreted or glanced over or... So you basically already know what mistakes um, they're gonna make. And in real life, often it's the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. People make the same yeah. misconfigurations. Yeah. So that kind of helps. But you, uh, initially, you've got you've got to pick up on that that though, haven't you? Uh, you know, it, you learn that as you do it. So you go, oh yeah, I've seen this before. Again, as we say, I've seen that before. He didn't do that. They didn't do that. She missed that out, and uh, you know the the the. the I, I did um, some uh, code clubs back in the day, about four years ago, five years ago, and this was teaching children at the age of um, eight, nine, ten, uh, around that age at school. So I went to, went to a school, and we'd set up, um, and they do Scratch programming or they do Python, and that sure as hell puts you on your keeps you on your toes because you can imagine the kids just don't want to follow the instructions at all they're constantly missing bits out and i was running around like mad but by by golly at the end of it i knew these exercises inside out because every single thing that could go wrong was going wrong mm-hmm. um but you learn so much from it like you say you know suddenly you you you, you know you've, you've grasped it and, and you can apply that and uh, you know i think you're, you're probably the same, Kim. I, you know, I struggle with things, but then I, I pick it up quickly as well. And I think that helps me on my day-to-day then to then apply that. Um, you know, it, it, I, I can struggle with things. I do look at it and go, what does this mean? You know, and sometimes it just may be badly written article that, you know, it doesn't make sense when you read it back. And you've got to translate it as well, which is, adds an extra bit of, of um, complexity, I suppose, to you learning something. Right. It's, um, the, the, the more you know, obviously, the more, the more anchor points you have to understand more challenging topics and, and get deeper into something. Um, so that definitely helps uh, growing older. The thing that doesn't help is that um, I don't, learn things as quickly as I used to. Um, I, um, this goes back to my guitar playing, doesn't it? It's like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you've, got to, you've got to process all this. You've got to understand it. You, you may be, I might become, I don't know about yourself, I get more self-critical of myself, thinking about it more. Do you find that or is it a case of I'm just getting older and I can't deal with this now? The grey matter's disappearing. Well, it's, it, it's, yeah, it, it changes day by day, I think. I have, uh, I have days where, um, where I can still, still grasp um, new things rather quickly. And I have days where I think, like, what on earth is going on? I cannot get yeah. anything into my head today. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it can get tricky for sure. And and so the news group stuff was your starting point. Uh, how did that then carry on? Did you did you start to blog? Did you start to speak? I, I, I 
did start to blog, but only I'd say years later. Um, I think I think I've been uh, I was in the news group for six months when uh, when Kathy Moya um, back in the days she was working for the SMS documentation team back then. And, and she contacted me and said, Kim, you've been incredibly active in the news groups. Um, don't you want to become an MVP? And I said, uh, a, a, a what? Because <laughs> back in the day, I had no clue what the MVP program was about. Um, so I think after about a year in the news groups, um, I actually got my, uh, my first MVP award. Um, and that's, is it about 15 years or something you've had it? It's, it's been 15 years. Um, right, right right this month, I think. I, ha- I think I, believe I had my very first uh, MVP award, um, 1st of April 2005. So I'm one of the April, wow. April Fool MVPs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so did you, uh, did you get an email back in the day then is... Email existed then, didn't it? Yeah. yeah so, would yeah. You, did you get an email coming coming in, and it was like you're now part of this program, and you're like, yeah. right, fantastic. Yeah, I did. What does all this mean? I suppose. Would you, would you did you know what the program was about? Or no, I had no clue. Um, I had no clue because back back in the days, I think I don't I don't know how many there actually were worldwide, but at my very first MVP summit, I think there were seven or eight. Um, as a mass MVPs in the room, um, that was that was um, that was it, um, and and very exclusive uh, group then. A, a very exclusive group, and I was yeah. sitting there. Royalty, <laughs> well, close to. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was sitting there, um, and they asked all of these questions in how they had to how they could evolve this product and make it better, and I was sitting there like. I've never thought about a product in, in any capacity on making it better. I'm pretty good at using it as it is, um, how it should evolve. So I was, I don't think I said much at my very first MVP, uh, MVP summit. Um, and April Cook, who's, uh, who's still involved with MMS, um, was one of the MVPs back then. So I still call up on her every, while, every once in a while to um, to have her explain one of my uh, my nicknames that I kind of gave myself, being the quiet shy guy, because um, people now say, "Hell no, <laughs> you're not quiet, <laughs> you're not shy." I know where they're coming from. <laughs> and with your first name, we're not even sure about the guy part. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. But I still call up on her to say my very first MVP summit. I don't think anybody knew the sound of my voice because I didn't say a damn thing because I had no clue um, what it was about. I was um, blown away by um, the other people in the room. Um, so I know that feeling. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first summit I went to, I think I spoke once right at the end of the week yep. and i've spoken about this it was wa- walking into that room of people and this is where you know you get an imposter syndrome kicking in or whatever you go yep. why the hell am i in this room what, what the heck yep. is all this about 
and you're totally undermining anything you may have done yep. to be in that room. So, so um, I'll stick with my claim. I'm the quiet, shy guy, and the other MVPs corrupted me. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have a word with all them. <laughs> but you know, it's you soon realise. Uh, but when when you're chatting away with people, that we're all all in this struggle, and that's why, as, as I said about the podcast, we're just regular people trying to get by. The beauty that we have is that we can feedback. And as you say, you know, you were sat in that room going, "Oh, what you want feedback from me? You want thoughts from me? I didn't really think about that." Um, and, and you're in a, in a privileged position sat in that room to have that ability. And that's something we, you know, we, we, we totally, totally don't, uh, we, we do appreciate and we, we don't, uh, ever, ever, um, kind of say that it's something that we don't, you know, we, we've worked our way to get it. So we kind of, we're lucky. We're lucky in a way to be there. Totally lucky, but we've worked hard and we're 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 privileged to be there. So it's you know why not say something? Why not feedback? And why not get involved? Ultimately, isn't it? Everybody has has uh, has something to offer. That's one of the things I've uh, I've learned um, throughout the, throughout the years. Um, which, which is, I think which is, now with the with the current branch model. We, you see so much more. We got the user voice, uh, but but even the product group being on Twitter and the interaction that they have means that anyone can feedback with ideas. And we see so much of this stuff going into the product, and we, we you know, it's churning out. And you know, is it's yourself and Jurgen who have the challenge when the TPs come out? I'm right in that. Yeah, although, although he's been. Um kicking my ass for months now. Um, <laughs> Been wiping the floor with you, has he? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can call it a competition anymore. It's a, it's a Premier League team against... I don't even, I, I don't uh, even know where I <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I even qualify for championship anymore. But I need no, to get I back into you, the game. I mean, yeah, it, it's, well, it's a challenge in keeping up with it ultimately isn't it because you know there is so much chat changing that uh, not just with config manager but in tune with with windows 10 itself and beyond all that that this is a, a cadence that could make people freak out and go my god i'm so far behind how am i going to get back on track um yeah. uh, you know it, it's a challenge for sure yep and I've, I've been doing a little bit more of development, and that's a problem. The minute I start doing any development, that eats a lot of my time and mental capacity. Uh, and I'll see. And is, it, is that just little uh, things that for, you, for your business, or is that a bit of fun for yourself? It's, it's, uh, it's, for, it's for the business. We've, um, we've built an, uh, an SCCM extension um, that uses uh, labs for randomizing local passwords, but um, then integrate it into CM um, to do uh, interesting things like the remote actions you have to do for remote tools and, and RDP or connect to um, 
to a to an administrative share. Um, we go and fetch the password for you. Um, so that becomes more easy to use. Um, we now have pre and post scripts. Um, so if you want to really lock down your um, your laptops and workstations, we allow you to keep the firewall completely closed. Um, and if you want to RDP in, we'll just use the SSM run scripts um, functionality to open the firewall when you need it and close it when you're done. Things like that. Cool. Yeah, I know, I know you'd worked on a, a LAPS type solution for Config Manager. We had a brief email yeah. conversation about that. It was a couple of years ago, I think, was it? So it's been, it's been a little while. Yeah, we we uh, we, yeah. we we started that uh, a couple of years ago. We've uh, we've now started doing some development on using the false notification channel and the run scripts feature um, to add pre and post actions. Because um, to us, it doesn't really make sense that we open up um, firewall ports twenty four seven to all of our machines just because help desk needs access to five to 10% of them a year once. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why we, uh, why we added the pre and post script functionality. That's cool. It's a little on-demand feature really, isn't it? Yep. Yep. And is that something that you enjoy doing then, the dev side? Because like you say, you weren't, you know, you kind of didn't really do that as a kid, but. I, I, you know, I, I do. I do enjoy doing that. Um, I have a very tough time um, mentally um, checking out uh, when I'm doing that. Um, if there's a problem that um, that isn't solved just yet, even if I'm not sitting behind the behind the computer, I'm still crunching crunching through it. Um, which uh, which the family doesn't like always like because I'm uh, even though I'm physically there uh, to them I appear absent quite a bit of time at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your brain's ticking away, yeah. Yep. Come back to us, Kim. Where are you? Yeah, it's like you're drifting away, thinking. Yep. Oh, I need to do this to do that, and then if I do this, and is that writing notes down while you're doing that or? No, that's uh, that's that's the annoying bit. Um, it it's just um, all happening in my brain, which means I can do it anywhere, anytime, um, and it's pretty hard for them to tell me stop doing that. I can't. It's happening inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> and do you sometimes fix it in your head and then forget how you fixed it? I don't or do you retain that? I don't think I've fixed a lot of things in my uh, well I've I, I've fixed things in my head um, that uh, that eventually don't turn out to fix it because it doesn't work. I don't think I've fixed stuff in my head that I eventually forgot about again. Um that's not how it happens. But every once in a while, I say, oh, this is going to fix it. And then I try it and I say, oh, no, crap, forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So what's next for you then, Kim? Uh, you know, you, you're, uh, you've got the, the business at the moment and that's all ticking away. Is that something that you're going to keep doing long term? 
Yep. Or have you got other plans in your head? Or are you happy doing all this? I'm happy doing all this. Next thing I have planned is retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. still a couple of years out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wish, don't wish that too quickly, yeah. Because uh, it's uh, fast approaching uh, for myself. And, uh, well, may, maybe, who knows, because obviously they keep uh, pushing back retirement age and um Next thing you know, we're working till we're about ninety odd, so uh, there's still still time yet. <laughs> but who knows? Um, yeah, so I mean, the MVP thing. I mean, you've been doing that year after year. It's it's you know, it's great that you're on board and you're, you're always uh, you're always contributing. Um, do you find it um, easy to keep that renewal going? And and you know, does, how much of your time does it take up? I don't know whether I can, can actually quantify that time-wise because it, it all depends and, and you don't, I still don't know after 50 years what counts, what doesn't count. Um, right now I spend uh, quite a bit on Twitter. Um, I obviously have the, have the presentations um, going normally year after year. Um, this year will be... Uh, Will be a, a strange year with um, a lot less presentations uh, going on. Um, so I, I don't know. I still uh, I still wonder every July um, will I still be in or or won't I? Um, so as long as long as they'll have me, I'm uh, I'm happy to keep doing what I'm uh, what I'm doing. Um, it's. Uh, it's another fun way to uh, to meet people that are doing similar things um, than you um, in, in different ways or in similar ways. Um, I have a lot of people I uh, I call friends uh, that I've learned uh, through that program. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely still uh, still trying to uh, to be part of that. As much to keep as going. Can. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when you're talking to social, um, where can people reach out to you on social? What what are your tags and your your uh, my my, uh, my tag um, because that's the very first presentation I ever did at, uh, at an MMS in Las Vegas. My tag is still the WMI guy because um, back in two thousand ten. Uh, there's more people doing things with that now, but back in 2010, I created a presentation on doing um, things with SCCM using WMI eventing. And WMI eventing was very, very little known back in the days. Um, so I did, uh, I did some, some demos on what you could do with uh, the WMI eventing. And back in the day, we still had my T forum um, being a very big thing for as a match really forums um so i created a wmi eventing um automation that whenever an error popped up in the status matching system of sms it would automatically forward that to one of the mailing lists and ask for help um so that so that people could solve it for me when the errors came in and all I had to do when I woke up was read through the emails on my IT forum and see how people solve things for me. Uh, what, what was one of the, was one of the demos I did. Cool. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah. So the, the WMI guy um, is still my uh, my Twitter Twitter handle. Um, has probably the easiest way to reach me. Cool. Kim, it's been a real treat to talk to you today um, on the podcast. And again, you know, thanks thanks for joining. It's, uh, you know, we've chatted away for a while and I definitely feel I know you a lot more, uh, to- totally feel I know you a lot more than I, than I did before. And um, interesting to hear about, I'd love to hear about you at the football uh, and taking your son to that. I think that's really great. Um, my daughter wants to see my local team, but they're... Um, they're 200 miles away. So we go to the away matches together and that's kind of cool. She's 12. So, you know, if I could get a season ticket there, I would, you know, but uh, unfortunately not. It's just too far a round trip. And that's why I was interested to see how far you were traveling for that. Um, but yeah, it's been a real treat. And, um, you know, thanks ever so much for, for joining in on on this podcast. Thanks for having me.